0: Mac Power Users episode 432. MPU Plus recorded on May twenty-first, twenty eighteen. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal David Sparks. Hey David.
1: Hey Katie Floyd, how are you today?
0: I'm well and you?
1: Excellent. Um, excited to talk about another episode of MPU Plus. Got a ton of feedback from listeners. We've got a couple things on our mind we need to deal with. Uh, lot, lots going on, man.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's I love these uh, MPU Plus shows. We typically try to stagger them at the, the end of each month. It gives us an opportunity to kind of recap the month, talk about what might be on, on our minds, what we've been doing for the past month kind of what's going on in the Apple world. And, you know, next month we've got WWDC. It's hard to believe that uh, another June is upon us.
1: Yeah. And uh, and this time you're letting me talk about Notes and Bear. So we kind of put that one on the back burner for a while, but it's not enough for a whole show, but I have definite thoughts on the uh, state of Notes apps, which is Katie's least favorite topic um, of anything we talk on, on Mac Power Rangers. but it's in the outline. So I'm in.
0: All right before we uh get there i i want to talk a little bit about something that was kind of newsworthy earlier this year and uh i feel like maybe you and i and a lot of the mac power users listeners have moved beyond it but a lot of people haven't and that is we have reached the end of the airport era
1: yeah it's a little sad really
0: uh it's a little sad but it's definitely uh it's time has come i remember apple was really i think out of necessity one of the big pioneers of of wireless networking because Apple wanted wireless networking to come to the masses and Apple built in, well, it really didn't. You had to buy a separate airport card, but they built in airport compatibility, wireless networking compatibility into their computers from fairly early compared to most PC makers. Uh, you did have to add the extra airport card and, you know, wireless networking was, was really quite a mess. And so Apple decided, well, we're gonna do something about this. You can you can buy our card, you can stick it in your Mac, and you can also buy this very friendly looking gray UFO airport base station, and they were quite expensive, especially if you had to buy the card and you had to buy the airport base station. But it and they were fairly slow at that time, but a lot of people were using them with dial-up. The first airport base stations had had dial-up modems that were built into them, but you could get online. And I remember very fondly with my original titanium actually was i think it was my titanium power book but it could have been uh my somebody in my family had one of the original iBooks you know the the one that uh, kind of looked like a briefcase that was blue we had a we had a, did we have a blue one or an orange one i don't remember walking around the house just saying i'm walking down the hallway and i'm on the internet
1: and as time went by the airport evolved i mean i feel like it was a um, it was always a really good solution in a time of a uh, of very poor user interfaces where like if you went with the standard netgear or whatever for many years the only interface to it was a web portal like you, you went to you plugged it in your computer and went into your browser to manage the device it was not friendly at all and we had we i even tried it for a while because the the airports were always expensive and i um i had netgear and i had a couple other brands um and they never worked very well you know and we had this situation where you'd have to go and unplug it wait 10 seconds and plug it back in and you did that every couple of days to keep the internet working and and one day i'd, I'd say probably around 2006 ish I um I just went ahead and bought an airport. So I didn't get into the airport game until later. And it was just so much better. It was like a breath of fresh air. The user interface made sense. Uh, You could go in and do all the customization stuff that you needed. And it worked. And you didn't have to reset it every couple of days to keep it going. But those were the heydays. And that hasn't been true now for a while.
0: Apple really has let the airport languish for the last few years. and. I think Mark Gurman reported a couple of years ago that the, the airport team internally had disbanded, that Apple wasn't doing much with, with the airport. But it, it took, I think, 18 months after that original rumor came out for, for Apple to say, OK, yeah, well, you know, the airport is is end of life. We haven't seen an update to the airport in, in years. It is 802.11n. It is dual band. But that's it. I mean, Apple really decided uh, some time ago they they weren't going to put a whole a lot more effort into the airport base stations. I think Apple kind of got to a point where perhaps they thought that, you know, the, the competition is really good enough now. There there are third-party products out there that that are compatible with Mac and iOS. They're, they're not as bad as they were before to set up. And I think Apple looks and says, you know, is this really a market we want to be in?
1: Yeah, you know, I, that's the sad part for me is that, uh, first of all, I think we're going to talk after, you know, our... Uh, uh, After our testimony to the airport, we're going to talk about what we recommend these days. But I I feel like if Apple had wanted to kind of embrace the mesh networking thing, they've got products like the Apple TV and, you know, the old Airport Expresses. I mean, they could have gone all in with mesh networking and honestly made it better for Apple hardware users because it would be customized for us. And uh, I I feel like they could have made a superior product if they were willing to put the effort in. And I guess they make so much money now that they just don't care. I, I don't I don't know. I don't want to be a jerk about it. But I feel like they uh they pulled the cord on this one. They didn't necessarily need to.
0: Well, I think they reached a point where they either needed to pull the cord on it or they needed to invest a lot in it. And Apple has decided they're going to go a different direction. And I, I don't know that the direction that they went in really makes a whole lot more sense. They decided they're going to go in the directions where they're going to make home pods and they're going to buy Beats and they're, they're going to go in that direction as opposed to you know not making airports they're they're not really in the monitor business anymore. you know rumor has it that Apple is going to make another third party monitor but but they haven't yet apple really doesn't apple doesn't make printers anymore you know they used to be in the printer business apple is is really selectively in the peripheral business now
1: yeah okay so there's a couple of clarifications I believe they stated at their um at the mac pro. that they are definitely going to make a monitor. I think that's beyond a rumor now that they're going to be making a monitor. I I don't view this as like an either or. They didn't have to choose between the HomePod and the airport. In fact, I believe the HomePod would have been a great mesh station for an Apple, you know, all-house mesh networking. You could build the hardware into Macs and you could have everything in your house with an Apple logo on it conceivably, uh, helping your Wi-Fi. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like if they had really wanted to, they could have done something pretty cool, and they didn't. And uh, one of the things I talked about earlier was the reason I went to airport was because the UI and just the management of of routers in the past was so terrible. And that that is one thing that has improved. Um, uh, several of Apple's competitors got the memo. Um, I mean, Eero, which is the one I use, and they are sometimes a sponsor of the show, so there you have it. But their user interface is just as good, if not better, than what the airport was doing at the end of its life. And that's not the only company making routers with good user interfaces now. So that part, I would say, yeah, uh, other people were doing that. Apple doesn't have to lead the way anymore because everybody else figured it out. But just because, you know, Apple makes so many different kinds of hardware, um, I feel like if they had really made it a priority, they could have done something pretty cool with networking uh, for people that do buy the various Apple bits and bobs around their house.
0: So one of the questions that I've seen thrown out there, it, we are where we are. The Apple has declared the yeah. airport end of <laughs> it life. It doesn't matter what I It doesn't I matter want. What, we, what we think about <laughs> yeah. it. This yeah. is where we are. Um, you can still buy the airport. Uh, it is selectively available at Apple stores. To some degree, it's available on Apple online in certain models and supple, certain configurations. It's, it's there pretty much in, until it sells out. Would you recommend that someone buy an airport new today? And here's another question for people who have airports in their homes. How long do you suggest that they continue to run them? Those are the two questions that I'm getting most currently from people.
1: All right. So let's start with the second one, because I think that's the easiest is um, if you've got a working network, whether it's got an Apple logo or a Netgear on it, whatever, I think you're fine. Just keep going if it's working This isn't something you need to update every year as a matter of principle. Mm. Um, I I, I would just keep going with it until it it stopped working.
0: Mm, Okay. Um, I'm going to add a couple of caveats to what you just said. Okay. Uh, first off, security is a big deal with these networks, Uh, particularly with the security vulnerabilities that we've seen. I think you can continue using with what you have so long as your manufacturer is continuing to support it and continuing to update it.
1: Yeah, and I think they will, don't you? I mean, I can't imagine they're gonna. If there's some big security hole in the Apple Airport, they're they're just gonna leave it.
0: They will for some period of time. Apple Apple typically releases security patches for a couple of years after something has been end of life. So I, I think if you've got a current generation Airport now, you're probably fine for a couple of years. If you're using one that's several generations old, that that may may not necessarily be the case for a while. But my my point being you know, you kind of made a generic statement of if you've got an old router and it's working just fine, keep it. I don't know that that's not necessarily as far as I would go. I I think I would make sure that it's being updated, that you can regularly patch it and that your manufacturer is still paying care and attention to
1: it. Thank you, Counselor. Thank you for the clarification. There you go. Yes. (laughs) I I agree. Uh, So that's that's probably true. And if you've got one that's several years old, I think you'd probably want to update it just because the technology's come so far. You can get a much better networking experience now. But but if you've got a relatively new airport and it's working fine, I don't feel like this announcement should make you feel compelled to run out and buy something else. I, I think you're fine. And I do believe Apple will continue to support it. I don't know if they've said that publicly or not. I didn't really kind of anticipate we'd go there today. But um, I'm Fairly certain you're going to be just fine for a while using your airport gear, and it's still a good router. Uh, but the the first question you ask is interesting as well. Uh, assuming that you either just don't want it anymore, or it's too old, or it's broken, uh, would you buy another airport? Well, absolutely not, because they are not supporting anymore. And by some rumors, they haven't had anybody really working on it for 18 months now. Uh, but the I think an interesting angle to that is: Would you buy a different kind of router? Or would you go in for the mesh networking stuff?
0: Well, it depends. It depends on what you need. I mean, so you're telling someone if they can buy an airport right now today from an Apple store, from uh, Apple's website, you wouldn't buy one.
1: No, I wouldn't. I mean, they don't they don't make the product anymore. its I mean, just for the reasons you just said a few minutes ago, for no other reason, I don't think it's going to be supported forever.
0: Yeah, I think there are better options, but I don't know that I would flat out tell somebody not to buy one because I think it's going to be supported for a while. But I think you're buying something that, you know, is on a, a short time frame. Uh, in terms of of what do you buy, I, I think it depends on on your needs. And I think the the first thing you have to look at is is coverage, and how are you how are you going to get coverage throughout your throughout your home? If you're in a larger home, if you've got a split floor plan, if if you've had coverage issues in the past, I think what you really need to look at is, and uh, in, in depending on how things are laid out and where your network's going to sit, is this something that one good router in a central location is going to be able to cover everything that I need and you probably have a fairly good idea of this based on your current setup how's it working for you do you have the coverage you want can you can you get everything in all the bits of your house or if the answer to that is no then you're probably going to be a candidate for for a mesh network where you start with one and then you you start adding on from there so that you can expand your network people who live in in smaller homes if you live in a condo if you live in an apartment um, those those are things that you can probably get away with a uh, one centralized router although in circumstances like that network congestion may be more of an issue than the necessarily being able to get uh your network spread out but I think those are things you have to look at is is from a coverage perspective your your current router working for you or are you always having trouble you know in the in the back bedroom or in the basement or in what upstairs and then the the second question is are you From a feature standpoint, what are you looking at? Um, So I think once you answer the coverage question first, you know, pretty much, are you going mesh or not mesh? And then you start looking and comparing features.
1: Yeah, I don't agree. I I honestly think that if you're going to get a new router, I think you start with mesh and have to have a good reason not to, because I can tell you, I have an 1800 square foot house. I don't live in a castle. But I had intermittent wireless problems for a long time. And as soon as I got a mesh network, all of that just went away. It feels like, you know, it feels like the technology is finally seamless for me. And I've just not had any wireless problems for the last, you know, year and a half or two years since I got the the Eero. And the it's just so much better for us. And I don't have my non-geek family members going crazy at me every month or so because of some kind of weird wireless problem it just works and uh, i i feel like that if you're going to get a new one you might as well get the fancy new technology that seems to be significantly better than the traditional technology now there may be a reason maybe you don't have the budget because the mesh network usually involves buying more than one unit and I think you're probably in it for at least three hundred bucks or so to get that started, and maybe you're like, I only got a hundred bucks in my pocket. And I need uh, I need a Wi-Fi. That's a good reason not to get a mesh because you know it's it's cheaper. But I think if you've got the ability to put a mesh network in, I think that's the starting point.
0: Mm, okay, we'll we'll agree to disagree there. But uh, I I think someone who doesn't need the coverage of a mesh network, there are a lot of great wireless routers out there that have good coverage. Um, and a lot of great features if you don't need a mesh network. I mean, for someone who lives in a a 1,200-square-foot flat, they don't need a mesh network generally. Or someone who lives in an 800-square-foot condo, probably not going to need a, a mesh network.
1: Yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, there there's options out there, but they don't have Apple logos on them anymore. I'm a little sad about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, but there, there are a lot of good options out there. Uh, like you, David, I, I live in a little bit larger house. I've got a, a floor plan that's kind of an L shaped and, and split. I've got a upstairs and a downstairs and it's kind of L shaped. And so a single router typically doesn't work well for me. And so I've got the Eero, you know, full disclosure, they were a sponsor. Uh, they are sometimes still a sponsor, but I've kind of got the best of both worlds. And in, in my setup, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Uh, I've got an Eero for wireless coverage, but it is not the hub of my network. Uh, a while ago, I put in one of the Synology routers, and I think it's the, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, um, but I think it's the 2100 AC router. And I've actually turned the wireless features off of that router, but use that for all of my networking. And it's got a lot of the great features of a Synology, um, a lot, uh, and a lot of like I can do. You know VPN and other things at the router level, and a lot of advanced configuration. But then, with the Eero attached in bridge mode, running my wireless network, I've got the coverage of the Eero.
1: Yeah, when I when we got and, and I we we keep saying the word Eero. Let's just say mesh networking. Uh, there, I think there's a lot of good manufacturers of it out there. Do some research if you want to get one. You don't have to get Eero just because they sponsored us. Although, if you do, let them know you heard about it here. <laughs> but the um no matter which one you get, uh, you can combine it with other hardware. With my system, I still have my old Apple airport with time capsule built into it. And I've still got a couple family members with laptops that aren't very good at plugging things in. So uh, I just have that time capsule, I have that airport with time capsule uh, attached to the network just as a time capsule. It's no longer a, a router. And it works fine. And we're getting backups onto it just fine. So and a lot of times when you make this transition, you can get your existing hardware uh, either through just making it a piece of the new system or as Katie did, inserting your old router or, or in her case, the um, what is it, the Synology router into the system. Uh, so no matter how you do it, uh, these, the modern technology makes it pretty easy to mix and match this stuff. And, and there are some great solutions there. If you've got a router that you have to go unplug and replug in every week and uh, get your wife calling you in the middle of the night about the bad internet.
0: Or your uh, husband.
1: Oh, yeah, I know. Well, in my case, it was my wife. So I'm, you know, but the, uh, there are some great options out there. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by our friends at Hover. Building your online identity has never been more important, and with Hover, you find a domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. Use the link in our show notes to get 10% off your first purchase. I've now been writing Max Barkey for over 10 years, and for me, one of the defining moments was when I went into Hover in, I think it was 2006, and bought MaxBarkey.com. It felt really good to me owning that domain and knowing that I now had a little corner of the internet that I could talk about things that are important to me. And it really was the beginning of a lot of changes in my life. That's how I led to this podcast and how I led to quitting my job a few years ago. So getting a domain is a big first step, and you want to do that with someone you trust. I'm so happy to have Hover back as a sponsor of Mac Power Users. They were with us several years ago, and now they're back today. The great thing about Hover is that they allow you to keep your domain separate from your hosting, so you never have to get stuck with hosting services that don't meet your needs. And there's a few great things about the company that I really like. First is that there's no upsells. It's a real clean user interface, and when you go to buy your domain, you just type in the name, they show you what's available, and you click the buy button. You don't have to work your way through some maze of questions and tricky boxes that try to add extra fees to your domain purchase. You just buy the domain and you've got what you need. It's best in class customer support team, and they include privacy. So you get that automatically. They've got over 400 domain name extensions to choose from. So you don't have to go for just .com. If you want .fm or .tv or whatever, they've got it covered for you. I'm also a big fan of Hover's additional services like email. I own both my Max Parkey and my legal email accounts through Hover and I pay them every year. They give me a great IMAP account that I can use anywhere. And I've been really happy with that service. I've been using it now for multiple years. The bottom line is if you've got a great idea that you're thinking about, don't waste any time. Head over to Hover.com. Use the link that we've got in the show notes for the show. You'll get 10% off and go ahead and buy your domain now. It feels really good to lock that up and just make that the first big step for whatever your next big endeavor is. If you want to show the world what you're passionate about, Hover is there to help you make that first step. Head over to Hover.com MPU right now and get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you, Hover, for your support of the show. All right, Katie, we have had this in our list of things to talk about forever, and that's just the status of some of these Notes apps. Um, for uh, For a long time, it was kind of an ongoing bit here on Mac Power Users until you you, you brought the hammer down on me, said I'm not allowed to talk about it anymore. Uh, but it's been a couple of years, and there's two things that have happened that I'd like to mention. Uh, the first is that Notes continues to improve. Uh, Apple seems to be still developing on this, which is good. I mean, they don't always do that, so I'm glad that they're doing that. And there's been a new app kind of come onto the scene in the last year or two that a lot of people really like called Bear, you know, just like the animal. And uh, that is a subscription-based service. I want to say it's $15 for a year. I I subscribed for a year, but I don't remember what I paid for it, but it was in that neighborhood. And uh, it's got a version for Mac, iPad, and iPhone so they're both good sync-based notes apps, and we get tons of feedback from people here on the Facebook group and everywhere else asking what we're doing for notes.
0: Bear is uh, $149 a month or $1499 a year. The core version of Bear for, Mac, uh, for iOS and Mac is free. Bear Pro offers advanced features like syncing between all your, advice, your devices, application themes, exporting, and more.
1: Yeah, if it doesn't, you have to pay for syncing, so it, it's almost a non-starter without the subscription. Yeah, if you want to use Bear instead of Notes, you're going to pay fifteen bucks a year. Um, but you, you're not in, really interested in either of these, right? I mean, you're 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 still on the Evernote bandwagon, and
0: I'm using Evernote for now. I I keep looking out of Evernote, but um, every year my my subscription comes up in December. And I'm kind of grandfathered into the old pricing because I, I gave them like a, a PayPal subscription to that because I did not want to give them my credit card information at the time. And as a result, I think they can't change my PayPal pricing. So I'm still locked into that old pricing. And every year when it comes due, I think about, you know, canceling it and getting my stuff out and moving on. But every year I don't. So we'll see. We'll see what happens this December.
1: All right. Well, like we, I said, we at the top of the show. This isn't a topic for a full show. Uh, but it is something worth talking about if you're interested about this and uh, the way i use these notes app it's just little buckets of text on various things an example is if i have a client that wants me to write a specific contract for them uh, i will the first time i get an email from the client asking about it i'll open a note and the the topic will be client name/jones slash Jones contract or whatever and maybe i'll copy the client text in or maybe the client will tell me about it on the telephone and i'll just open a quick note and Take some bullet points down about what's important to them or what's going on, and then I'll write down the names of the parties and key terms and just things like that. Um, when I do litigation stuff uh, as an attorney or when I work with other attorneys, I will just I have a text expander snippet called uh, Com Log that opens a communication log. It types everything out for me there, and then I can use text expander snippets to insert date strings. So every time somebody calls me about it or I have any kind of uh, interaction with another person concerning whatever the subject is. I, I drop that in there and then I put a, full bull, few pull, put a few bullet points underneath so I can always go back later and reference it. And it's just a great way to keep information. That's how I use it for the law practice for Max Sparky. I've got one that's got a list of future titles, first field guides, and you know, just all that little bits of information in my life that I want to have quick access to. For years, I did this with some plain text editors. You know, like um, um, uh, Brett's uh, text editor's name escapes me right now. Um, marked
0: or uh, no, no, not no, marked. Notifi- um,
1: Notability. NV-Alt. Yeah, NVAlt. I'm sorry. And so I, I <laughs> they all start to to blur. Yeah, NVAlt. I used NVAlt for a longest time. Plain text, super easy to add. But when Apple made um, Apple Notes so much better. I decided to go over to it. And that wasn't easy for me because I'm generally a fan of plain text. I I like the ubiquity of plain text files, but Apple notes added a bunch of features. And because I've never really been on the Evernote bandwagon, uh, it allows me to add attach emails and put in Apple maps and to put in links and pictures and, you know, things that I occasionally want to add to some of these notes. I don't add that much media to most notes, but occasionally I do have one. Like I'm you know, planning a trip right now. And I've got links and pictures and sorts, of, all sorts of things in there that I, I want to have available to me. So I went over to Apple Notes and I've been using that now for a while. And last year when Bear really got links, I went ahead and signed up for an account for that as well. And I used it exclusively for a few months and ultimately came back to Apple Notes. But as Bear is very active and always coming out with updates, I still keep a corpus of data in there and I go in and play with it with the idea of switching to it Every time they have a major update, but I always ultimately end up I'm not deciding I'm not going to. So I thought I'd just kind of talk through that process of of the pluses and minuses of these two competing apps in this space. Does that makes sense. Yep. Okay. So uh, the first is on Apple Notes, and the reason why I think I keep sticking with it is because of its ubiquity. It's it's on all the systems. Uh, the The pricing doesn't matter to me. I, I'm happy to pay fifteen dollars if the app is going to have make my life easier somehow you know i can make 15 dollars pretty fast if it saves me time and is more efficient Uh, but the um but that so that that isn't even really an issue for me it may be for some people but i'm fortunate enough at this point in my life that i can pay the 15 bucks a year if i need it but just the general ubiquity of notes because it's made by apple and baked into the operating system For instance, all the export stuff in, um, in iOS and the Mac all always supports Apple notes because it's Apple's product and Apple's operating system. Um, and that's really nice. And I use it all the time. I really like the multimedia pieces of it. You know, even though I don't use it that often, it is very handy. Like that uh, aforementioned uh, travel note I have, I've got PDFs of all my tickets in there and my. Hotel room confirmations and all the stuff people use Evernote for traditionally. I've, I use this for that in addition to those text notes I was describing earlier. So that's really nice. The Apple notes supports that. Um, it, the interface is pretty clean with Apple notes. The, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do with it. You can add a title, a heading, uh, a body, you know, and it's all done by keyboard shortcuts, which are not the same, by the way on the Mac and the iPad. So <laughs> it's a different set of keyboard shortcuts. So bizarre. Yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't just make, cause if you have a keyboard attached to the iPad, presumably you're used to doing it on the Mac too. But, but for some reason I've wired my brain enough that I can do them and I always use the right ones whether I'm on iPad or iPhone or, um, or Mac. And I guess that's just because I've been doing it long enough I've got them kind of internally wired at this point. I couldn't tell you what they are as I sit here, but my fingers know. And uh, it does have some interesting features, like you can create uh, to-do item checkboxes. I was talking about those calls I'll do with clients earlier. A lot of times, just to keep things simple, I'll add those checkboxes under a communication log entry. And as soon as I hang up the phone, then I process those immediately. Either they get moved to OmniFocus, or I just do them, or whatever. But it's just kind of a nice way to capture that information. And you know it, it works nice. I do not like the look of the app on the iPad and the iPhone. They've got this embossed, textured paper. If you look at it, it's it's goofy. You know, I uh, I wish that they. You know, I I prefer the flatter design for something that's just taking notes. Uh, it doesn't have interesting ways to change the fonts. For the longest time on the Mac, one of the reasons why I was real serious about switching to Bear. Was on the Mac, they had this tiny font with no way to adjust it for about a year after got that upgrade. So it was—I found myself squinting at my Mac because I had no way to change the the typeface sizes. And now they fix that. But anyway, uh, it's not—you know—it's an Apple product, so it's not really very sexy, but it's very uh, functional, and it's been extremely stable for me. I now have twelve hundred notes in it, and I haven't lost any. And it—it's snappy and works just fine. Bear, on the other hand, is kind of the sexier version. You know, it's got markdown, so I can have my my markdown. It's got great ways to change the look and the color schemes of the application on all your devices, and it's got tags, which I think is a superior way to organize notes than the traditional folder organization that you get with Apple Notes. So I go into Bear every once in a while, every time they do an update, and I try, and And they've come a long way, and if you're listening to this and you've chosen Bear over Notes, don't feel like just because I'm using Apple Notes that you should go back because uh, I am, this is a squeaker for me. I could easily see myself using Bear. And if Apple shut down Apple Notes or stopped developing it tomorrow, without hesitation, I would switch to Bear. But uh, for me, it's just the general ubiquity and ease of use for Apple Notes that has left me uh, staying there.
0: I've been using Apple Notes more and more. I mean, partially at you're prodding because we've been doing you know more of the show note planning in apple notes and in fact we've got a question about that later we'll address and i will i'll tell you I, although i'm not really quite ready to dump all of my stuff into apple notes i think i'm ready to move more and more stuff into it so uh, i can see starting to transition more things into it and and use it for more things you you might be convincing me to con- convert a little bit it it seems like it can handle a lot of what i do
1: Yeah, and that's something I didn't even mention. Apple Notes collaboration is the real deal. I mean, we are working this show right now out of a shared Apple Note. I mean, we're looking at it as we record, which is not something that I thought would have been possible a little while ago.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you, it worked really well because this morning I I got up a little early and didn't feel like coming upstairs to my computer, which I know is hysterical because I have a, a MacBook and it's a laptop, supposedly. So I just stayed down in on the bed with my iPad and had, you know, actually had the Facebook group up on one side and had Apple notes up on the other and was, you know, looking through to, to grab some questions and just threw them into the Apple notes doc and was able to format with the keyboard and pretty easy to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is really nice if you work on iOS, because, uh, you know, there's nothing like it. I mean, we traditionally would have done this in a Google document, which is, kind of terrible on the ipad just kind of just kind of uh so i guess breaking it down bear is i think the more delightful of the two and i think apple notes is probably the more utilitarian and it's got some additional features like that collaboration stuff that you don't get with bear and uh i, I am a little jealous of bear because i do like the idea of saying well maybe i want to go to a solarized color scheme or change the fonts but apple notes is just so reliable for me that I, I can't bring myself to leave it. Uh, one other little niggle I have with Bear is that it displays heading information for markdown, which is great, but it looks a little messy to me, and and I do like the clean look that I get with Apple Notes. So there it is. Uh, let us know what you use, and uh, and if there's something I missed, let me know. I'm sure I'll hear from some Bear people telling me that I need to come over. <laughs> Uh, oh, and the other thing is both of them do a really good job of export and import. Uh, you can get the data out of either one, including Apple Notes has a, a plain text export, which is great.
0: Anything else you want? We got some questions about Notes a little bit later, but anything else you want to talk about versus your your vision quest with regards to Notes and where, where everything stands?
1: It hasn't really been much of a vision quest the last year. I, I've just been uh kicking butt with Apple notes, but occasionally dipping my toes into Bear just to see if it's something amazing happened that makes me want to switch. But that hasn't happened.
0: And you're using notes and bear and Ulysses now is your kind of trifecta.
1: Um sort of Ulysses role is for actual writing, you know um yeah I write legal stuff. I write Max Barkey stuff, books and everything in in Ulysses. And I do keep a text bank of like contract terms and stuff like that in Ulysses which is a little different than kind of the running notes type stuff I keep in Apple Notes. And, and I'm just using Bear to test it. I don't really use it functionally. I just use it to test it at this point. It's either one or the other for me, Bear Notes. I'm not gonna split that information between two apps.
0: I wanna shift gears a little bit. Uh, something that was posted on the Facebook group the, the last couple of weeks, and it, it's something that we talk about from a theoretical standpoint of, oh, this can happen, this can happen, you need to be prepared. But we actually got a note from Josh in the Facebook, hap- uh, Facebook group saying it happened to him. And so I wanted to, to call it out because the story does have a fairly happy ending, as happy as these stories can have a happy ending. And to say, yeah, these things really do happen. It's not just something that we, we talk about on the show. So I'll, I'll just read Josh's post from, from Facebook. He says, I wanted to take a moment to thank David and Katie and the whole MPU gang Recently, my wife and I lost nearly everything in an apartment fire. Thanks to Carbon Copy Cloner, Backblaze, all of our data, including our wedding photos and video, is safe. I even managed to save the Hazel rules thanks to Carbon Copy Cloner. If it wasn't for the show, I might not have heard about Carbon Copy Cloner and Backblaze, and we would have lost data, which unfortunately can't be replaced by renter's insurance. Speaking of renter's insurance, I've been using my scanner... And an old printer for the last few years to scan receipts for all the big ticket items that we've bought, and have been able to search them through a DevonThink database for all of those receipts and attach them to my claim, which has made the process a whole lot easier. But as it turns out, the apartment fire and the accompanying insurance claim generates tons of paper on its own, so I bought a ScanSnap IX500 to deal with it, and it arrives tomorrow. And my inner productivity nerd could not be more excited. So. First off, thank goodness that Josh and his wife are safe. Everybody's okay. That's that's the big thing. And I I, I can't think of anything more disruptive or more uh, just scary than losing everything you have to a house or an apartment fire. I, I mean, that it just terrifying and yet it it happens. It happens quite regularly. And while a lot of this stuff can be bought and, and rebought and can be replaced, there's a lot of it that can't be.
1: I think the thing that really stands out here is the importance of offsite. You know, we talk about backup all the time, but the two things that really saved Joss's bacon is the backblaze um, backup. You know, the, and I get I'm assuming the carbon copy clone was offsite too. If he's got use of it now,
0: yeah, that or maybe he was able to grab it, or maybe he took it offsite, maybe he rotated it offsite. I don't know.
1: Yeah. So if you've got a backup plan that doesn't include some way of putting all of your ones and zeros, you know, with a trusted friend or with a service like Backblaze, you need to add that because that is the biggest, that's the biggest weakness in a lot of folks. You know, you'll have, maybe you have two backups and one's in your closet and one's next to your Mac. But if you're out of town and your house burns down, all your, all your data goes with it. You've got to have that stuff upside somewhere.
0: Well, even if you're not out of town, even if you're just at work, you know, if, if your house catches on fire, even if you're home, even if you're sitting in your house and something catches on fire, you're not really going to have time to run through and grab stuff. You're, you're going to get, get your family and get out.
1: So what I do for Offsite is I I do have a Backblaze account. I've had it for years. I only have one Backblaze account. I have it on my iMac. I have a laptop as well, but I don't pay for a Backblaze account on that. And on my iMac, I've got permanently attached my hard drive, which is another topic of discussion today, later. But yeah, I've got the, the archive drive. Taped to the bottom of the desk, which is always attached, and the way backblaze works if it's attached to your mac, it's part of your 50 a year plan back setup too. so I'm backing up roughly I think about five terabytes to backblaze, and everything gets backed up that way and then the other thing I do is I've got a couple additional hard drives, and I, I just cycle them through about every I think it's every month I have an omnifocus task that requires me to go through and back up the backup. And then I give it to a family member. And so I have one at home. I have one copy of the data at home separate. I have one copy under the computer that goes to Backblaze. And then I have one copy that's with someone offsite. So I've got two off-site locations for my data. And I think I feel pretty comfortable with that. How do you do it?
0: So I've got uh, a couple of different things. I've got the Synology, which is my big pot of storage. And then also um has a lot of stuff on it. And then I, like you, um, although my hard drive, I think is only four terabytes. I I have a four terabyte hard drive that I back up that Synology to. So I've got everything that's on that Synology on that four terabyte backup. And then that gets direct attached to my Mac. So it is included in my Backblaze backup because Backblaze will back up your Mac and it will back up anything that is direct attached storage. Unfortunately, it does not back up network attached storage. So by... Backing up the Synology to the USB drive and then having the USB drive attached to my Mac, as long as that USB drive is plugged in and mounted at least once every 30 days, I think is the criteria, Backblaze will continue to back it up. Um, and then the Mac itself is backed up. And then the, so that data gets backed up. And a lot of people say, well, gosh, I've got terabytes and terabytes of data that will take forever to do an offsite backup. Well, Probably not really. It will probably take weeks and, and maybe a month or so at the at the most. I, I'm I'm sure there are people who have really bad internet that it will take longer than that. But I guess my response would be by the time we do the next MPU plus show, you could be there. You could have all that data backed up by now.
1: Yeah. And if you don't, let's say you've got like you've got to, you know, pay a bunch of money to upload data. And you know, not everybody has data plans that allows them to just put five terabytes in the cloud. Um, you know, the the old, you know, the sneaker knit kind of version of get a couple hard drives and put one with a trusted friend, it's easier now than ever. First of all, because drives are cheaper than they used to be. Um, the built in system in macOS allows you to encrypt that drive with a password. So even though they're a trusted friend, they still can't get in. It's encrypted data. And it's just, you know, it's just not that hard to do that either. I'm doing both because I'm anal retentive and I'm, uh, terrified about losing, you know, either client or, um, or, um, you know, kids data, you know, or pictures or videos and all that stuff. But, but even if you could only do one of those, the, the hard drive rotation is not a bad solution. Either way, I, I think we've probably banged this drum enough, but number one, Josh, we're happy. You and your wife are okay. And glad you saved all your data and hope any, if one person out there listening to this says, okay, I'm going to get offsite now." off site um, it, it was worth talking about.
0: Yeah, and the one other thing I would pull from what Josh said is digital data can be backed up. Paper cannot. Something to think about. Another another reason to go paperless. We talked about that and I think our disaster preparedness show, didn't we?
1: Yeah, another little uh, caveat on this. This is one I think I learned from uh, this lady named Katie Floyd. Uh, if you've got that new scanner, Josh, scan your homeowner's insurance and all the, those important documents and put them on a thumb drive that you keep in your Wallet or your briefcase or
0: on your keychain, yeah,
1: on your key. It's just somewhere. Those drives are super cheap and they're small enough to fit on your keychain now. So if if you have something terrible happen, you've got access to the key documents right locally.
0: Or you can even I I upload mine to cloud storage, or you can store them in your One Password or whatever, and then you've got them wherever you are. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Gazelle the trusted online marketplace for buying and selling used electronics. You can learn more by heading over to gazelle.com today. Do you have a used MacBook or cell phone that's just collecting dust in your drawers? You probably do, and you can trade it in at gazelle.com, where they offer the best in value for your device. It's fast, it's easy, and free to get a custom quote for your gadgets. And while you're there, check out the huge inventory of iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, and more. Their devices are certified, pre-owned, and affordable, perfect for your loved ones. In fact, I've had family members who have bought devices from Gazelle, and you would be really hard-pressed to tell many of the times that they're used. I've also sold my devices from Gazelle. It is easy and hassle-free. All online quotes are free. Simply go over to gazelle.com, find your gadget, give them a little information by answering a few easy questions, and you'll get your instant price quote. Payments are fast. You can either get a check in the mail You can get an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or you can opt to direct deposit things into your PayPal account. When you buy a used item from Gazelle, you have the option of choosing from good, fair, and excellent condition. Good condition shows gentle signs of wear and tear, but they offer consumers great prices on great devices and give you an opportunity to get a device without signing up for a long-term contract. And all of their devices have been put through a rigorous 30-point inspection process, ensuring they're in good working order. Devices are available to support all the major carriers, including AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint. So whether you need to buy something that's been gently used or perhaps unload some of your old devices, you can be sure to find what you need over at gazelle.com. Give new life to your used devices, trade in for cash, or buy certified pre-owned. Visit gazelle.com today, and don't forget to let them know that you heard about them from Mac Power users. Thanks to gazelle.com for their support of the show.
1: Katie, something I wanted to talk about. It's been now, you know, over six months. We've had these iPhone tens. What do you think of your iPhone ten? Hmm. Uh oh. (laughs)
0: Um. Well, I I have uh, I have thoughts about my iPhone ten. So I bought the iPhone ten. Uh, I the day day it came out, I I think I was one of the first orders to get. I I bought the the white iPhone 10 and I am I and I bought it outright. I did something a little different with this iPhone. I I wanted to get off the constant um, you know, upgrade cycle where you're paying monthly for a device. I I hate having payments. I hate doing all this stuff, so I just bought it outright. And I'm I bought it and I bought Apple Care for it. So it was a it was a big big chunk of money to to lay down right out for it, but I I bought it and I've got it and I I sold my iPhone 7. Uh, to kind of offset that cost a little bit, but I've got the iPhone 10. Um, it's a it's a cool phone. It's it's fast. It probably has a lot more horsepower than than I ever need in an iPhone. I, it has not been as life changing, I will tell you, as uh, I I thought the iPhone 10 would be. I mean, really, for me, it came down to um, you know, did I need to upgrade from the seven to the ten? Probably not. You know, if I hadn't been Katie Floyd, who does this podcast called Mac Power Users, the answer to that would be I probably didn't need to upgrade my phone. Uh, And then the second question would be, did I need to get the 10 or the 8? And again, if I hadn't been Katie Floyd, who does Mac Power Users podcast, I probably didn't need to get the 10 uh, rather than the 8. Uh, I, I like having the bigger screen in the only slightly bigger form factor, of the iPhone 10. I, I do not like big phones. I, I would not want a phone that is any bigger than this by by any means. Um, I, I The notch is, you know, whatever. It doesn't bother me like it bothers a, a lot of people. I, I will tell you I'm not sold on Face ID at all. I realize that it's something that is going to get better. I wish I had Touch ID back because I find that I am typing my password in so much more frequently now than I ever did before, and it's it's a daily thing for me, and it takes a lot more thought and effort and concentration and intentionality to get into my iPhone than it ever did before and that is probably the most frustrating thing about the iPhone ten for me, whereas with touch i d it was just it was just a second nature it was brainless touch i d was always worked it always was fast, I could always get in my phone, I didn't have to be looking at it i you know it was just kind of a a thing. And, and now it's like, oh, okay, hang on, stop, flip it over, look at it, wait a second, flip up. Okay. Now I'm in it.
1: Interesting. So you have to put your passcode in once a day with your phone.
0: If, oh no. I've to put my passcode in multiple times a day. It t- touch ID, um, uh, the, the face ID it to, and I don't know if it's cause I'm not, I mean, if I, if I stop and I slow down and I stop what I'm doing and I turn the phone and I look right at it and I kind of give it a smile, it will, I am I'm. I'm being facetious about the smile, but it's a very intentional stop, turn at the phone, look at it, wait to get in. It, it is not a second, you know, it's, it's not this instantaneous just let me into my phone. Like it, it used to be thing.
1: Okay. So I have had not, I have not had that experience at all for me. I, I think I put my passcode in every time I turn my phone off. I, I rarely have face id miss now have you tried turning off the uh attention button you know how there's it's off
0: i turned it off like day two
1: wow yep it's better your face katie
0: i don't know oh my god did you just did you just say that
1: (laughs) i i don't i don't know that's that's weird though i i have not had that problem i the reason i was i raised the subject i was in cold weather recently and i was wearing gloves and i was thinking boy it sure is nice getting into the phone without a um Without having to take my gloves off, but but yeah, I, yeah, I haven't. I don't know. I don't know anyone that's had that many. I mean, problems it's not
0: you. horrible. I wouldn't even say it's bad. It's well, just if, it,
1: if you have to do it a couple times a day, it's bad. If Touch ID didn't work twice a day, I would be really upset. Or or Face ID.
0: And I will tell you, it almost always works the second time I do it. If I turn the phone away and then turn it back to me, it will almost always work. But it's it's just, and and I think maybe part of it is. I am am accustomed to using my phone at an off angle. I'm accustomed to, you know, using it, you know, down at my waist or uh, off to the side or whatnot, where I'm not looking directly at my phone or using it on the desk. But no, it's like I have to stop, hold the phone up, look at it and then do what I want.
1: Have you ever tried retraining it? Yes. Okay. well, I'm I'm flummoxed.
0: And, you know, the thing is supposed to train itself every time you look at it and stick your passcode in.
1: Yeah, but I, uh, th- that's wild. I, I, I just have so, uh, so checking out on my end, it's been great. I, I really didn't have any complaints with Touch ID. That worked fine too. Um, the, but the face ID has worked great for me. I think I prefer it. Um, I do like, you know, the ability to look at it, like even just like turn my phone on in the dark or with gloves on and it just works. The, um, I really like the new, the new screen, you know, the edge to edge sort of screen. When it first came out, I was really down on the, um, the, uh, the, what's the wedge? What do you call it again? The notch. I, that really, I, that really bugged me. I, I, I wrote a couple of posts about it. I, I mean, I understand, I'm not saying that they should have waited because the notch is there until they could have got rid of it. Cause I think it would have taken a long time to get rid of it, but I just don't like it. Um, but. I don't even really notice it at this point. It doesn't, I got used to it. I, I'm used to the new gestures. I do not like the um, control center gesture. I think that was a mistake making you have to hit a certain point in the upper right corner to uh, unlock control center.
0: And I hope they unify this with um, iOS 12, right? That's the next one that's coming out because I get so confused when I go back to my iPad. Wait, which way am I supposed to swipe? Hang on.
1: Yeah. No, that, that it, it it throws me once in a while as well. I, I feel like to me, there, there must have been a solution that didn't involve going to the top to get control center. I was thinking like, you know, on the iPad, you've got two swipe ups, a short swipe up, gets you the dock and a long swipe up, gets you to control center. What if we had a long swipe up on the iPhone 10 where like you swipe up and hold, or just do something that follows the traditional paradigm, uh, rather than have this kind of weird thing where you have to go to the right ear. I don't like that, but um, overall i i love the um the oled screen i mean it, it totally does spoil you i continue to have a black uh, solid background behind my uh my springboard because my home screen because i just think it looks really good and the apps that come out with a pure dark mode i always turn those on because I, I really like that i haven't it hasn't i have i'm still uh amazed and marveled by it you know i'm not it's not normal for me yet i still enjoy it and uh, I do like the increased screen size on a smaller phone. I I guess that we're hearing that it's it's very possible in a few months that in September that we'll get a, a larger size iPhone 10 style, you know, like the kind of the plus phone with an even bigger screen. I don't know which one I would get, but I, I think I'd probably stay with the smaller one because it's just the right mix for me. And, uh, it, you know, the, the, no iPhone will ever change your life the way your first iPhone did. So I, I'm not weighing it against the way, um, you know, the original iPhone just changed everything because there's just no such thing anymore. That can only happen once for your phone. But the uh, I think that there's a lot of nice new technology in this thing, and I, I really like it. Now, if mine required me to type in the passcode two times a day, I would be uh, just as upset as Katie is. But I um I don't have that experience, so I I think it's great. So <laughs> that's the reason I put it in notes. I wanted to talk about how much I like it. I had no idea you were dealing with this.
0: Yeah, and I I don't want to say that I'm unhappy. It, it's I I just chalk this up to growing pains. I mean, anytime you make an a leap in technology, to, when you go to the next great thing, it you you have to get there. I mean, Touch ID was not great in its first generation. It was okay. It was pretty good. It was good for what it was, but it, it wasn't great first, first out of the gate. And it took, you know, the second or the third generation of touch ID before it it really became great. And I think we'll get there with face ID. You know, Apple wasn't going to get face ID perfect out of the gate. And I think they did pretty darn good for, for where they are. I will just tell you that, you know, although I, I, I love the look of the iPhone 10, uh, you know, right now I just stuck it in front of my face and, it yeah, no, got to enter your passcode. Okay. Let me, let me go do that now. And, you know, and I've already taken our advice and got a more complex passcode. So that's, it's just kind of a pain, but yeah, I, I easily enter my passcode multiple times, multiple times. Wow. a day. Wow.
1: And I, I, I never had that problem with the first iteration of touch ID either. It was a little slower, but it, um, it always worked pretty good for me. Maybe you should take it into the Apple store. Maybe there's something wrong with your phone.
0: I don't know. I um I do love wireless charging though. That was something that I really brushed off as a gimmick when it was introduced. You know, oh my gosh, who who can't plug their phone in? How lazy do you have to be? Why is that? Why why is that such a problem for people? What is the issue here? And I the only place I plug my phone in now is uh in the car. Everywhere else I have uh, wireless Qi uh, charging.
1: Yeah, nice.
0: I I don't I don't know. Is that caught on for you as much as it is for me?
1: Well, I um, I have one, I think the one that you recommended, it's the uh, fast charge from RAV power
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it holds it up at a nice angle. Like I'm, it's on. I keep it on my desk.
0: I'm looking at mine's on my desk right now on the RAV charger. I've got one at my desk at home and one at my desk at work.
1: I just, you're going to hate me, but I just peeked around the edge of my microphone and looked at it and it just unlocked. So, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there you go. My iPhone's laughing at your iPhone, but the, um, uh, no, it's great. And I, I don't, Take the phone to bed. I just leave it in there when I go to bed at night. So that's that's the main place I do charging. Anyway.
0: Maybe I need to somehow tweak tweak my settings. Oh, and all the time, all the time, it it turns itself off when I'm I'm like I'm still here. I'm still looking at you. I'm I'm. Well, I'm, that's the
1: setting. I, yeah, turn. no,
0: I've I've got. I think it's because I turned off require um, attention for Face ID because I I had to do that because it didn't like my glasses.
1: Well, take I, I okay. So just like I tell listeners all the time. You need—I uh, forget though—you're like two hours away from an Apple store, and not
0: Yes, yes, I am. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, next time you're going towards whatever city it is, you've got your Apple store in. You should make an appointment. Just have them check it. Maybe there's something wrong with you know the IR blaster or something. It could be. It really could be just like something defective with the phone. Because I honestly don't know any iPhone 10 users that have had this complaint. Now I'll hear from, now I'll hear from all of them, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you, if you feel that way, tweet it to me, please. Just don't please send me tweet David. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But the, um, I am kind of curious, maybe this is more common than I realized, but the, uh, but that, yeah, I don't know. I would get your phone checked. Uh, So we're going into WWDC. I'm going to head up there. Um, We're going to do a show on that and we're going to record it the day of the announcements this year. We're going to try and be a little more kind of timely with the stuff. Uh, which is on a Monday, so the Sunday show that comes out in two weeks will not show up. You'll get the Monday. You'll get it 24 hours later. Monday night we'll have a show up that will, or or first thing Tuesday, depending on you know how much drinking I do. Um, the uh, but we'll we'll have a show up very shortly after the the keynote and the State of the Union address from Apple. Uh, but just kind of interesting uh, talking about the iPhone 10. Do you think they're going to make a iPad version of the iPhone 10, you know, with the face ID and kind of the edge to edge stuff? I think it's it's possible we'll see it in a couple of weeks.
0: I, I don't know that we'll see it at WWDC. I don't really know what we're going to see at WWDC. I, I think, you know, clearly we're not going to see the Mac Pro. We're, um, I don't know that we're going to see the iPad. That's typically not an iPad event.
1: They you did know, last year.
0: Yeah. You know, r- rumor has it it's going to be a... Um, a lighter WWDC in terms of features for um, the Mac and, and iOS. I mean, Apple always manages to come up with something, but uh, I don't know. I don't know, what you, know which right.
1: I, you know what my pipe dream is for this year? I, I've got a post on it. It hasn't gone up yet, but it should be up by the time the show goes live. Is um, It's now been over a year since they bought Workflow. And I know the Workflow team's been hard at work at Apple now for I think a year and a half or so maybe that's enough time to get whatever they're doing into the next version of iOS.
0: Mm, It may not be enough time.
1: It may be. I mean, it's it's kind of a pipe dream, but this is a year where we're hearing that there's not going to be a ton of new features. But, you know, Apple's always pretty good at keeping secrets about new features in iOS because that's just a bunch of programmers. They don't have factories in China that they got to worry about and things like that. But um, wouldn't it be great if we had some form of of the workflow app that was integrated throughout the operating system and any app developer could tie into it and we we would have way better automation on ios that that's what i would like i i don't know that we're going to get it but it seems to to me like this would be a good year to get that started Uh, just like uh, katie's face id i don't think the very first version of that is going to be as powerful as the current version of workflow but you got to start somewhere and why not this year so that that's my pipe dream for If I had one thing on my list I'd like to take at home, it would be that. I don't think we're going to get a ton of new features on iPad this year.
0: I just want Apple to slow down and do things better. It feels like Apple of late has been rushing to do things, over-promising, under-delivering. I mean, gosh, where is AirPower? You know, where is AirPlay 2? Yeah,
1: stuff that was announced last year that hasn't shipped yet.
0: Where is messages in the cloud, you know? Um, I mean, they are, they're, what is that saying? You're, you're writing checks that your body can't cash. Where did that come from? That's a reference from somewhere.
1: I don't know, but it's it's used often, but I, I think that's a very, uh, that's a very good wish. I mean, that they would just say, okay, we're going to just tighten things down. Everybody remembers the Top snow Gun. Leopard.
0: Oh gosh. How did I not know that? That's from Top Gun.
1: I wrote, but I think the, the phrase you're writing, your ego, checks is you writing can't cash.
0: your ego is writing checks. Your body can't cash. Yes.
1: But the writing a check you can't cash, I think, goes back quite a bit. But but you know, getting back on topic, the the uh, the idea of just tightening things down in the operating system is a great idea. Apple has done that in the past. Snow Leopard is the most common example of it. But I, I think that that wouldn't be necessarily bad. But there's still a bunch of little tweaks. Like last year, they made a bunch of changes to the way the iPad works for productivity stuff, but there were little things that I think they could do better job on and, and fix like the way you search apps and just some of the mechanics, especially if they are going to come out with a new iPad that used Face ID. Uh, I would like to see all that stuff get just a little better. It doesn't need doesn't need the massive improvements we need needed last year. I don't know if you remember, but last year um I was feeling pretty surly going into WWDC because I felt like the iPad had so much potential that was not unlocked because they wouldn't let you do things like save multiple email attachments and even the most basic stuff. And, and last year, they brought a lot of that stuff to the table for us.
0: Yeah, so it, uh, the iPad's kind of been on a TikTok cycle. Well, this, is this the tick or the talk here? I don't know.
1: I don't even know which is the tick and which is the talk. Last year, we got a lot of features. This year, I would guess we get just refinements and not a lot of new features for iPad. But I guess we'll see. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pixelmator Pro. Version 1.1 is going to ship on May 31st, and they're pre-announcing that here on the Mac Power Users with this ad spot. I'm a huge fan of Pixelmator and Pixelmator Pro. These are some of my favorite applications for working with images on my Mac, iPad, and iPhone. I upgraded to Pixelmator Pro version 1.1 late last year when it first released, and I used it for all of the artwork in the iPhone Field Guide that I just released. The exciting news today that the Pixelmator team has authorized us to share with you is that version 1.1 is about to release. It's coming out on Thursday, May 31st, just a few days after this podcast is released. I was lucky enough to get to use the beta for Pixelmator Pro 1.1 and it's great. My favorite new feature in Pixelmator Pro 1.1 is the auto white balance. They have trained it through machine learning to look at your image and figure out exactly where the white balance point should be. This was always something I kind of guessed at, and if you ever take pictures under artificial lighting, there's a good chance that the white balance is gonna be out of whack. So with Pixelmator Pro, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You press one button and it's taken care of. They spent a lot of time perfecting this. It uses machine learning. They used over 40 million image pairs to train this application to do the white balance for you. So you've got uh, some outstanding white balance now on every image you take just by owning Pixelmator Pro 1.1. And it sounds like a small thing, but it's a huge thing because it's going to make all of your pictures look better. That's not all though. They have a new export for web feature that makes it easy to prepare images for the web. They've added touch bar support. They've got a cool new slice tool that allows you to divide designs into individual images and optimize each one separately. They've got better compression. They've got the ability to quickly export images, including export presets. Now, when you're doing text formatting and adjusting layer blending, you get live preview, so you can see exactly what the effect is on your image and they've added a bunch of new tutorials, uh, including video and text tutorials to make using the application even better. This is a non-subscription pricing model, super powerful photo editing program, and that's why I love it. I started out with Pixelmator, now I use Pixelmator Pro. If you care about your images, you should check this out. Like I said earlier, the new version 1.1 is gonna release on Thursday, May 31st. I've been using it and I love it, I bet you will too. To learn more, head over to pixelmater.com and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Lots of listener questions this month.
0: We do have lots of listener questions. Uh, Let's get one from uh, GW first. He says, uh, David, you mentioned uh, one time that you use the TV app for iOS. Uh, I've looked into it, but I don't know what it's for or why to use it. Is it just, again, Apple throwing us something that there's no explanation on how or why to use it?
1: Well, the idea behind the TV app is that it would allow you to seamlessly uh, see your TV programs around your house, I mean, at least at one level. So if you're watching something on your Apple TV, you could go to your bedroom, lay in bed, you know, brush your teeth, get in bed, and you could continue where you left off with the TV app that, that's got that continuity between it. It's also the place where you get to see home videos and install third-party video, like um, some of, some of my video field guides, I've, I've formatted in a way that if you install it on your iPad, you have to go to the TV app to see them. So anything you get from somebody else often shows up there as well. So I use it for that stuff. Um, I also watch YouTube and the HBO app and stuff like that. And you don't need the TV app for that, but for a lot of the, the basic content you get from the Apple TV, you can continue it on the, uh, the iPad, which is kind of nice. You use that stuff, Katie.
0: Not really. On the phone and on the iPad, I use the TV app primarily for watching things that I specifically put there. um, Because I I tell you, I don't don't watch a lot of that type of video on the phone and the iPad. Because if I'm going to do that, I'm going to I'm going to watch it on my on my uh, Apple TV. And a lot of the Apple a lot of the places where I watch you know video on the Apple TV don't integrate with the TV app. Uh, More and more places are integrating with the TV app, but you know, the, the big one that's left out is Netflix and you know, it doesn't, doesn't integrate with the TV app. Um, but yeah, I can, I, I've been buying more and more, um, uh, movies and TV shows from iTunes recently. I've just kind of decided that all of my movie purchases are are going digital from here on out, unless there's a, a significant reason to buy something in a physical format. And I'm just, iTunes is going to be the place to do that occasionally I'll, I'll purchase from Amazon or another place but I always double check and make sure it's available on like the movies anywhere platform so you can you know get it into iTunes through that um, cross-platform sharing service that they have but um, yeah so more and more I've got more stuff in in iTunes through through those various platforms and services but I usually just just call it up and and watch it through there I, I never really think to go through the TV app maybe I will at some point if more things are added there but I I don't do a lot of watching TV through the various apps that connect into it. You know, if I miss an episode of something or if my my DVR misses something or something gets cut off, I will occasionally go to the ABC or the CBS app and watch a one-off of something, but never enough that I'm now going to go continue to watch the next episode.
1: And also you just have more TVs in your house. I only have one TV. You have like a, a TV in your bedroom, right?
0: I do. Yeah. The problem, the problem with TVs is I, I don't get rid of them. So whenever I upgrade a TV, you know, the the TV that's in my bedroom is the TV that used to be in my living room. And then when I got a 4k TV in my living room, that TV then went in my bedroom. And then the TV that went in my bedroom now is in, you know, my, my office. So uh, I just, my, my TVs don't die. So if you, the rooms of my house that you go in, you will, you will see they have older and older TVs in them. <laughs>
1: So my um my daughter you know is moving out this summer, uh, possibly as early as July, and I'm plotting my Max Sparky you know headquarters office. And one of the things I've got a question mark to in an Apple Note is television. Do I put a TV in that room? And probably not. That's usually not what I do. I mean i i I don't watch TV in my home office as it is. Um, but I keep going back to uh, episode 369. We had Michael Whale in it in. And he is a composer, guy's an Emmy award-winning composer, and he has this workflow where he put a big TV up over on the wall behind his iMac or his Mac Pro, I think it was, where he could see like the video playing as he was writing music for it. And I've always thought, wouldn't that be cool if I had like a TV on the wall up behind my Mac and I could have like the calendar up there or like the OmniFocus hit list and almost like a status board kind of thing. Uh, but I haven't decided. Yet. I'm probably not going to do that. I don't think I want to spend the money on a TV f- that I'm only going to use for things like that.
0: Well, one of the reasons I have a TV like in my office is because it can also uh, double as a guest room when I need extra space. So that you know, if you want to make it like a multi-purpose room, you can do that.
1: I'm having a lot of fun uh, planning this 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 room out, you know, and uh, but I haven't done anything for it yet. First, I got to get my daughter moved.
0: I'm a big fan of the couches that you can also. Um, cause sleeper sofas aren't good. Nobody likes sleeper sofas. They aren't comfortable, but you can get couches that, um, that can sleep like that have like a single bed in them that you can pull on or something. And those are not necessarily bad things. All right. Uh, next question we have is, uh, I don't know that we've ever talked about this, but Brandy, she said, um, I want to hear your thoughts on refurbs, experiences, pro cons, value propositions. So what are your thoughts on refurbs? Um, The short version of my thoughts on refurbs, I like Apple refurbs. If you can buy something refurbished from the Apple store, and it is what you want, or even a little more than what you want, I say by all means, go for it. Uh, Apple refurbs have the advantage of being less expensive. It has the advantage of being, instead of something that just happened to roll off the assembly line and may or may not have been spot-checked, you know you have something that has been gone over by an Apple technician. Uh, it also has the advantage of having a significant, sometimes, discount, some discount, uh, and has the full Apple warranty as though you'd bought it brand new. And so, in my opinion, there is, if you can get what you want, no reason not to buy something refurbished direct from Apple. So I always check the refurb section. It doesn't always work out for me because usually when I'm buying a computer from Apple, I'm, I'm buying something after it's just recently been released. And as such, there are no refurbs. But if I'm ever buying something that's not the latest and greatest, I always look in the refurb section. Or if I'm buying a peripheral, I always look in the refurb section.
1: i say most of the computers in my house were bought from the refurb store. I mean, why not save $300 when you can? Uh, one question is Do you get the additional Apple Care when you buy a refurb? Like, does that make you want to buy the additional two years?
0: Mm, my pros and cons. You know, I kind of have thoughts on Apple Care. There are certain things that I don't buy Apple Care on, period. So there, let me say that there is nothing about it being a refurb that would make me want to buy Apple Care more or less on it. If it is something that I typically would buy Apple Care on, I'll buy Apple Care on it. If it's something that I typically would not buy Apple Care on, I won't buy Apple Care on it. So the the fact that it is a refurb typically does not play any more or less in that decision. And you have the year to decide. The the caveat that I will throw out, um, there are a lot of places that sell quote unquote refurbished Apple products. And I would just say use caution. If you are buying something refurbished from not apple or from not an apple authorized distributor make sure you know what you're getting because refurbished is a is a word that a lot of people throw out that may not mean what you think it means and may not mean what it means when you buy an apple refurbished product and may not have the same warranty may not have the same process and procedures so for example if you're buying something on eBay that says it's refurbished or if you're buying something you know from a third party that says it's refurbished just know what refurbished means in that context, because it may not mean what you think it means.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, when she said refurb, I was I think the whole conversation thus far has been around the Apple refurb store. If you go on.
0: Right. I just want to throw that out because she said, what is your thoughts on buying refurbished? And just like there may be other things that are refurbished that aren't refurbished from Apple.
1: And, and I would say to that that there are some third party sellers who are not Apple authorized, whatever who specialize in Apple hardware that sell it refurbished, that are reputable. They've been in business for years and have thousands of positive reviews. So it's not necessarily bad, but you do have to be careful. And if you've never heard of the Apple refurb store, uh, there's a good reason. Apple does a pretty good job of hiding it on their website. (laughs) You have to kind of dig for it, but there is a part of the Apple website. They've got clearance items. Like when they come out with a new thing, like I would imagine a bunch of airports went on clearance recently. Uh, But they also have refurbs, which are Macs that got turned back in for some reason. It could be that somebody just didn't like it or that they had a problem with it that got fixed. But either way, um, you get a good deal.
0: So, uh, David, Darren wants to know about your five terabyte hard drive and time machine. In the last uh, MPU Plus, you mentioned that you moved from Drobo to a five terabyte USB drive. The portability of the solution is fantastic. How does this work with time machine?
1: So I have, um, I have a separate, I have multiple drives velcroed to the bottom of my desk. So the way I did it, um, with my iMac, which has got, you know, a lot of data on it rather than time machining it to the time capsule, which is attached to the aero network. I talked about earlier in the show. I just have a separate drive and that one is smaller. I think it's, um, cause I, I think it's a four terabyte drive or maybe even smaller and it's it's velcro to the bottom and also plugged into the usb hub and that's just a dedicated time machine drive so i have a couple drives under there one is the archive and one is the time machine Uh, you could i believe partition the big one and do it that way but i have enough extra data that i would run out of space
0: Uh, ron wrote in to talk about the two minute delay to email he said uh, one of your best tips was to add a two minute delay to sending your email I, Ron uses mail tags for that. I think David, that's what what you use as well. If you use Gmail, that has some kind of built-in delay. Dif- different, you know, third-party services have built-in delay. Uh, Ron says, for example, this morning, right after I hit the send button, I noticed I was sending an email to the wrong person, and it would not have been a good thing. Quickly went into the outbox, retrieved the email, and corrected the address. Um, for people who haven't heard, tell them about your two-minute delay.
1: Well, it's just I have, um, you know, partly because I pay for my shoes being a lawyer most days uh sending an email to the wrong person or sending a partially completed email out is not a good idea. And, or you know what if you accidentally hit the reply all button and you always realize that the moment you're hitting it. So I just put several years ago uh, using uh, mail tags I put a um a, a delay on all email that I send out by 2 minutes. So any any email I send send on doesn't go for 2 minutes and once or twice a year you know, it saves my bacon. Not very often, but it's totally worth it. And I don't even think about it. You, know, you press the button and then you hear the sending whoosh later when you're maybe even in a separate app. Uh, there's a way to bypass that with MailTag. So if you've got something that's important, needs to go out immediately, you can easily do that at the time of sending it. But uh, I just put a two-minute delay on everything, and uh, it's a good thing.
0: So I have two follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. One, have you ever had the problem occur where you're sending an email, you're trying to get something out, and then you immediately close your laptop or quit mail. And then as a result, something you meant to send and needed to send didn't get sent.
1: And is that a problem? Yeah, um, because I do this almost exclusively on the iMac, that's not an issue. But I I guess that could be an issue on the laptop. I I just don't, the laptop for me uh, isn't used very often. Yeah, so that's... um, that, that has not been an issue for me, but I understand what you're saying. It could be like if you press send on five emails and you close the lid on your laptop before the two minutes is up, they won't go.
0: The other question I have is it, it seems inevitable that the moment you realize something is wrong with a message is about two seconds after you hit the send button and you go, oh gosh, I wish I could have that back. Oh, I think I said that wrong. I think I put something wrong in there. When you put this two minute delay on your email, does that also change something in your brain? So that that delay moves?
1: No, the panic still happens the moment you slam the car door or the moment you press the send button, you know?
0: Okay. I just didn't know if if enabling the delay created (laughs) a buffer in the brain for the panic.
1: Like the people who move their clocks back five minutes and then they're just like always late anyway because their brain just accepts that five minutes later is okay. Just checking. Yeah, no, that's fine. The, The one question nobody asked me is, what about iOS? And I don't have a way to delay email on iOS. Um maybe some of the third-party apps would do it. I'd have to take a look, but the um the built-in mail app does not have any method to do that. And to tell you the truth for, you know, the the really important legal, you know, fancy lawyer type emails I send, those almost always end up leaving from the Mac. They may, I might may I start drafting it on iOS, but I am um, I I will save it as a draft, or if I do need to send it from my iPad, um, I'm aware of the fact that as soon as I hit the send button, because I know I get a little space on the Mac, I'm hyper aware of the fact that the send button is live on the iPad. So I'm always very careful before I hit it. I've never sent uh, inappropriate email from the iPad, you know, knock on wood.
0: Uh, George had a question, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but our, we'll, we'll wrap it up again talking about notes, uh, our question section at least. Uh, George's question was, uh, we talk a lot about the Apple Note, or we did last episode, uh, that you used for the show. And he said, I have a few uh, visions of how that works, but I can't really see how a shared Apple Note can handle all that information. Just thinking of how something like that would be handled in format. Uh, how do you break it down per show? Have you made the jump to Apple Notes yet for all of your show notes? Or are you just using it as, as you may go in? Um, so let me let me try to tackle this as the, uh, the Apple Note novice, and then and you can dive in with, with additional details. So to answer the question, right now we are doing only this MPU plus planning in the Apple Notes. There may come a day when I yield and we do more MPU planning in Apple Notes, but right now we're just planning the MPU plus as an experiment in Apple notes. And that's one show a month, the other three or four shows a month we we do with a shared Google doc. And part of that is because typically at least one to two shows a month, we we have guests and, you know, sh- sharing a Google doc is pretty ubiquitous at this point, And sharing an Apple note is with our guests, it would probably be okay, but not always. So the, the way that it works is for these MPU plus shows, we originally um, had them all as separate Every show, if you if you go into our Google Doc archives, at least since we started doing this, which was pretty early, you know, we, we have show uh, you know, 431, 430, 429, 428, 427. We have a separate doc for for each show. But the MPU plus, we wanted a way to be able to just drop in things as we got them because it's this is the show where we talk about the feedback that that we've accumulated over the course of the month. So we realized it was less and less important. To, to have separate show notes for each show, we kind of wanted a running show note for this particular show. And the idea being that if we didn't get to all the feedback this month, we would delete what we got to and we'd still have the rest there for next month. So we wanted a place where we could would store all the things that we wanted to talk about, cover what we could in an hour and a half or so, and then you know refill it back up and, and have what was left over for the next month. So that's kind of why we went to the idea of a, of a running show note. We fairly loosely format it, depending on who takes the first step at it. Um, it bothers me to no end <laughs> that, um, not really, David, I'm just, you know, giving you a hard time here. I am very strict about formatting the show notes. I, I like everything to be in a very particular format. Um, you know, with listeners' names at bullet points, a summary of their question, and then their question below it. And um, David just messes me up because he just copies and pastes whatever he gets and throws it into the show notes with no, no formatting, no summary, no nothing. He's just like, "There it is. This is this is what I want to talk about."
1: Well, I, I've always been the anarchist in this partnership. I accept that.
0: <laughs> so he just throws whatever, and I I usually spend the first twenty minutes or so of uh, of my my show note prep. Uh, going in and taking the anarchy that David has put into the apple notes and formatting it in a neat organized way that that my mind can comprehend.
1: Yeah, I mean one of the things about this this show this MPU plus show is we are constantly getting feedback. I will see something in the Facebook group that I want to talk about or somebody will send me an email or I'll get a tweet or I'll wake up in the middle of the night and say, "Hey, I don't know if Katie likes her iPhone 10 anymore." And when we were doing it in a Google Doc, it was very time intensive to navigate your way into that and depending on which platform you were on sometimes it was quite difficult um and putting an apple note makes the the process of getting data in so much easier like if someone sends me an email or a twitter i can just Copy that text and paste it in, and
0: and and take no moment to format it or put it in the proper section where it belongs. He just throws it wherever.
1: Yeah, because I don't, and the reason I, it's not to make it harder. And Katie, and if I honestly, if I get to the formatting, <laughs> run on it before Katie, I will do that. But um, a lot of times, I'm in a process of going through email at the time, and I don't want you know I'm just processing email, and getting it in here is is key to me. It's just so I, so I don't lose the data. But whoever gets in to do the initial format of the show we'll go through and and fix that stuff up and and it would be me if I get get to it you know before Katie which happens sometimes uh, but the um but I just want to get the data in there so having it in the apple note for me makes it uh, significantly easier to capture the stuff and that means that notes that I get sent are more likely to end up in show notes than the old way where I had to um you know if you're trying to get through your email if you have to then go log into google docs and then find the right document and it's just a pain in the neck we're now uh the on-ramp to getting the data into the mpu plus outline is a lot easier so that's the reason why we're doing it um the big stumbling block was we were worried that it won't collaborate right and you know it won't like we'll lose data or it'll have inconsistent data between us we haven't had that it doesn't have the speed of google of google docs but I mean, even as we've gone through the show today, I've seen Katie add a few things, take a few things out. I've done the same thing. And I think that it's working fine.
0: Yeah, it's usually along the line of seconds versus instantaneous. So it's pretty good. And I'll tell you, these are not super highly formatted notes. They're um, they're more outline format. It's we We've got a few headings. We've got bullet points. We've got things in bold. We've got kind of outline, you know. So that that's the extent of their formatting which is all we need for this
1: and to contrast it like if we have a guest show quite often uh i or katie will do a pre-interview with the guest and we'll talk through things that's important to them and that's like a one event you sit down you you work on that outline if i'm pre-interviewing a guest i'll have the guest in the google doc with me so they can see what i'm writing and they can make little changes they want so that's kind of like a one event, you know, to to outline those shows, it's done more at one at a time. Or if we have a content show where we're going to talk about one app or a couple apps, um, we'll work on that in big blocks of time. So it's the same thing. It's just these MPU plus shows where you're constantly getting new stuff to throw in there. And that's why this really is helpful for these types of shows.
0: All right. Final question about notes comes from Matthew and uh, we, we alluded to this earlier. I don't know that we need to go in a big thing about it because we've talked about it before, but Matthew wants to know why would you or anyone for that matter, choose Apple notes over Evernote for reference material and generated digital note-taking. And, you know, Matthew, there are a lot of people who would say, why would you or anyone for that matter, choose Apple notes over Devon think, you know, I, they're they are any, or bear or Ulysses, you know, they're they are any number of of note-taking applications or data storage applications that you could use, you know, to put in here. And I think we've talked about a lot of the reasons why Apple Notes works for David earlier in the show. I still use Evernote. I think you gotta, you know, find a system that works for you, but also be open and be aware of what else is out there.
1: Yeah, there's an abundance of riches now, which is good. Yeah, there, it isn't where you, you. There's only one or two options. Uh, there's plenty of people that could run this whole thing through Devon and Think, and and it would be better than what we're doing in some ways and worse than than others. And every, you just have to kind of pick your poison.
0: I, I will tell you, David, I think is is much more um, likely to change up his systems. He's he's much more interested than I am in trying out the the latest and greatest and and moving systems. I tend to be much more loyal to to systems i I will see what's out there I'll try them, and yeah yeah if I'm happy with what i got i'll I'll stick with it so and I think either is fine, but I do think you you need to have a certain awareness of of what is available and what is out there so that you know what you're missing because things change
1: yeah like one of the points i I forgot to mention in favor of bear uh was that it's very automation friendly you know it has all the url schemes so like i I have built in the past workflows in the workflow app that will go into the app store and get the icon for the app and save it to bear for me. So when I'm writing a review of an app, I already have the icon separated, you know, and, and things like that, that you can't do in Apple notes. So you know, no matter what it is you need, there's probably a tool that's going to help you out.
0: This episode of Mac power users is brought to you in part by the Fujitsu scan snap line of scanners. You can learn more by heading over to budurl.me SSMPU. So you've probably heard us talk on the show about the benefits of going paperless. In fact, we'll talk about it a little bit more on this episode. I can tell you that my preferred method for going paperless is the Fujitsu ScanSnap scanners. If you've been scanning documents the old-fashioned way, maybe using a flatbed scanner or the scanner that's incorporated into your multifunction device, you have not been living life right. You need a dedicated document scanner. And my weapon of choice for getting rid of stacks of paper is the Fujitsu iX500 i've got one on my desk at home and one at the office this is a full duplex scanner meaning it scans both the front and the back at the same time it has a 50 sheet document feeder so it will tackle even your biggest jobs it connects either by usb 3.0 or by wi-fi and will scan up to 25 pages per minute either directly to your mac or pc or to mobile devices it has an advanced paper feeding system which means it practically eliminates paper jams and double scans And perhaps even better than the scanner itself is the amazing ScanSnap software. It's infinitely customizable, so you can set all of your needs to either scan an individual page, scan bulk documents, scan to PDF, scan to JPEG, scan to your favorite cloud service, or scan to the Fujitsu cloud for even more organization and sorting options. The possibilities are really endless. And if you're looking for different types of scanners, they've got them too. You can look at the S1300i for something a little more portable, the iX500 for the ultimate in portability, or the SV600, which will allow you to scan virtually everything. It's ideal for books and magazines or items that are a little more awkward in size. You can learn more about the entire Fujitsu ScanSnap family by heading over to budurl.me SSMPU. That's B-U-D-U-R-L dot me slash SSMPU. And thanks to Fujitsu for your continued support of the show. All right, David, we got two little bits of follow up from uh, previous episodes that I I do want to cover. We had an episode recently on uh, iWorks and we had uh, David, not you, and others write on several uh, others, (laughs) several others, many, many, many others uh, write in about uh, third party office solutions like OpenOffice and LibreOffice. And wanted to know why we didn't look at these um, from a personal productivity perspective. You know, these are things that use the open, more open formats. They are typically less expensive, and some cat in some cases free. Um, and and they're ones that that you could use for these. And you know, I, I guess the reason we really didn't talk about these, and and we have to be clear, uh, we have done shows on word processors before. where We have talked about these these third party op- alternatives is, um, you know, it was intended to be an iWork show. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't compare iWork to its biggest competitor out there, which is Microsoft Word. It was not intended to be uh, a, a full-fledged um, comparison of word processor
1: show. But LibreOffice is a good solution. I know a lot of people use it. So the uh, we also heard about um, iWork and iCloud for PCs. And I honestly hadn't thought about this because I don't use PCs very often. Uh, I want to, Safak, I don't know if I got your name right. It's S-A-F-A-K, wrote in.
0: It's kind of like Sarek, but not.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't, he wrote, I can't believe you didn't mention the iCloud capabilities of iWork. You said that sharing and collaboration with PC users is the biggest downfall of iWork. But in my opinion, the feature that you actually don't need pages on your PC at work in the, and the browser fixes this. And, you know, you can run pages in the browser. It's kind of a weird experience because, we're used to things like Google Docs, where it's kind of a scaled downward processor and clearly something written for the web. Whereas Apple's take on this stuff is they try to make it almost look like a Mac app. And it's always kind of weird when you see it on a PC running in the browser. Uh, I don't have occasion to use this very often. So I, it just didn't really occur to me to talk to it uh, very much, but that is a good feature. And I know a lot of people like it and Uh, If you find yourself occasionally on a PC, you can log into your iCloud account and run these apps, which is kind of nice.
0: All right, what's next?
1: Well, what are you playing with this month, Katie Floyd?
0: Well, it's not so much that I'm playing with this month. Uh, It's something that I got back at Christmas time, but I I realized I hadn't really talked about it on uh, MPU. And it's something that I'm using more and more. So I thought it was time to, to talk about it. And it falls into the whole HomeKit ecosystem, and I got a smart lock for my house at Christmas. And it was something that I, it was one of those things where I kind of went back and forth and go, gosh, do I really want a smart lock on my house? Cause you know, it's the lock to my
1: house. Do I,
0: you know, it's kind of one of those things that makes you you think about it a little bit.
1: Yeah, I had a police officer friend tell me once, yeah, the locks keep out the innocent, the, uh, the honest crooks. You know?
0: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, So I, I had a couple of criteria that, that kind of, forced my direction of where I wanted to go. The, the first question was, do I even need or want a smart lock? Um, and then, of course, the answer to that is, well, yeah, I kind of do, because, you know, why not? Um, and then the the second question um, was, well, which one do I get? And I have quick set locks throughout my house. I, I did not want to rekey my house. I wanted a, a lock that would work with my existing stuff. So I knew that I was going to stay in the, the quick set model. And I also knew that if I was going to get a smart lock, I wanted one that was HomeKit compatible for kind of living in the home kit system and with security. So I went with the, the quick set kivo lock and I was a little nervous because the people who have this lock either seem to really like it or really not like it. There there don't seem to be a lot of reviews that are, are kind of in the middle. So um I bought the lock somewhere that I, I felt had a good return policy and that I, I would be okay that if it didn't work out for me that I would be okay to return it. And um uh, so far I've I've had it since Christmas. We're now here recording this at the at the end of May so, so far, so good. I've, I've been really, really happy with it. I just had to replace the battery. So it's been um, going on a, a good five months now. And I replaced the batteries at like 25%. So I still probably could have gone on for a while with it. And um, I, I like it because it has a couple of couple of features that it can do. Um, one is, of course, you can, you know, tell, you know, Siri to lock or, or unlock the lock, which is pretty cool. It It does have a dedicated app on the phone that you can use to lock and unlock the lock. You can do that from within HomeKit as well and and, and within the Home app. But it also has this um, uh, digital keypad on the front of the lock. So you can program it to give out codes to people. So I had um, some relatives who were coming to stay with me and um, I didn't want to give them a key, didn't have a, didn't, I wasn't going to be home when they were going to come home. So I, I texted, it was my cousin, I texted her and I said, hey, um, the, the, I'm not going to be home when you come by. Feel free to come by, drop your stuff off. And the code to the front door is, and I, I gave her a code that I, I knew was significant to her and that I knew she would know. And she was like, wow, okay. And so I, I gave her that over text. I programmed the code into my lock. I, I made it good for the days that she was going to be here. And so she was able to get in, get out. And then when the front door locked and unlocked, I was able to see from my phone that, you know, hey, you know, Megan has unlocked the front door. And I said, oh, okay, she's arrived. She's here. She made it and she got in. So that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I've got the original Kivo lock because I also have QuickSet, and mine is a couple of years old. It doesn't have a keypad. Mine has just like a little ring around it that you touch with your finger. And when it feels the finger touch it, if the phone is within Bluetooth radius, Um, it will unlock the door. And it's interesting, it will not work if the phone is behind the lock. So if I'm standing behind the door and somebody touches it, it will not unlock, which is pretty clever. Uh, It's interesting, now that we've had it a couple of years, who actually uses it? And primarily just me. (laughs) Daisy uses it once in a while, the kids don't want it. Uh, The problem is, and this is the first generation hardware, so maybe this has got better. Occasionally the app just disconnects for some reason and you have to reload the app on your phone. Maybe it's just Apple turning the app off after so much uh, non-use, but occasionally you'll touch the band and it won't unlock. You don't have to take your phone out of your pocket and fiddle it with it once in a while. It's not as often as Katie's uh, Face ID fails. <laughs> it's, about, it's about once a week that I have to deal with that. But otherwise, every time I come home, if my hands are full, I just touch the lock and it unlocks and I can get into the house, which is pretty nice. But I, it sounds to me like the newer version is much better.
0: Well, I I like this one a lot better because, you know, if for, for me, what was important is that it was super user friendly to non-tech people. So like my cousin, for example, when she came to stay, all I had to do is say, hey, here's the code. You know, this code, um, it's, it's not the code that I use for other things. So I didn't have to give her like my code. Not that I don't trust my cousin, but you know, still, and, um, she didn't have to download an app. She didn't have to do anything fancy. She didn't have to touch the ring. She just, oh, it's a keypad. I can punch a code in, you know, boom, I'm done. Um, I, I will tell you my experience has been, and based on reading the reviews, I think installing this lock well and having a good physical installation of the lock is really key to having a good experience with it. I had um, not a Kivo, but another quick set mechanical lock or, or um, you know, kind of automated lock in my, my other house. And it just chewed through batteries like crazy. And I really think that was because it, it was, it was an okay installation, but not a good installation. And as a result, the lock had to work a little harder than it probably needed to, to, to lock and unlock. And I was just never really happy with it. But I think I, I lucked out, got a little better at installing these and the, uh, the install for, for both of my locks now, because I think you and I both have that It's not a smart lock. It's a dumb lock with a keypad, but it's still a quick set lock. It's fairly inexpensive. Um, Both of those locks work really well. And I only have to replace the batteries like twice a year, which is, I think, fine.
1: And the advantage of that is they're still quick set locks. So you can still just use a key if you like members of your family don't want to deal with the electronic stuff. They can still just use a key to unlock the door.
0: Yeah, the other thing I've done with this that has saved my bacon more than once because I use I usually think I am pretty good about locking the door, um, but I just set a you know you can set rules in HomeKit. I set a rule in HomeKit that if I leave the house or at ten o'clock the door locks, um, and I had my phone tell me more than once, "Hey, it's ten o'clock. I locked the door because clearly you forgot to." I was like, Ooh. "Nice."
1: You see, mine doesn't even connect to the internet, so that's I've, I've got the much older version. One of these days, I'll update. Um, so I have a couple things this month. The first one is kind of a small one, but I finally got around to buying a Sport Loop from Apple. I was in the Apple store and just felt like I had money burning a hole in my pocket or whatever. But I uh, I bought a Sport Loop, and I always liked the idea of them. This is kind of the Velcro style Apple Watch band uh, because the buckle scratches my desk and everything. You know, when you've got buckles on them, I thought just for kind of everyday use, I'd get one. And I've had it now uh, for two or three weeks. I really like it. And um, it's a nice watch band. They have, they have them in both 38 and 42 millimeter. They also have an extra long one if you've got a big wrist. And they've got several colors. So that was kind of fun. Do you, have you tried one of those?
0: Yeah, I'm not a, um, I, I have not. I didn't think that I would be a, a fan of the Fabric-y uh, watches, but bands.
1: Well, it's 50 bucks to get in, which is kind of nuts, but either way, I, I bought one and I like it. Uh, the, the other thing is, uh, I've been using this month a lot an app that I goes back way back. It's, it's called Band in a Box. You know, I'm playing my sax more and, but I don't have a bunch of people around me that are uh, really good musicians. You know, I, I really want to play like Miles Davis music. I don't. You know, there there aren't many people interested in playing like 1950s bebop, but this app called Band in a Box has been around forever. It goes back, I think it originally started on the Atari ST. That was a really old computer that had MIDI ports in the side of it. But uh, they, I bought it in like the 80s, and I recently saw that they're still making it. They have it for the Mac now. I called them; they gave me my an upgrade price because they saw found my record from the 80s, <laughs> which I, is nuts. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, oh my uh, gosh. they're really nice people but they, they the software has come so far it really so the way it works is you take any song and this is you know a musician thing but uh, there's these chords that make up any song and you can just type in the chords like G minor, D minor seven, F sharp, whatever. You just type them in with your keyboard and then you hit the play button. You say, I want to play this as jazz or country or reggae or whatever kind of music you want. And then it puts a backing chart together. So if you want to sing with it, like, you know, make your own karaoke, or if you're like me and you want to play your saxophone with your Mac, uh, it makes a really great backing track for this stuff. And the, um, the way they do the backing tracks. Now when I first used this app ages ago, it was MIDI tracks, you know, it was just computer programs and you know it would play the built-in midi sounds in your computer which weren't very good but now they've gone in studio and recorded a bunch of really well-known musicians and they've used computer bits to change the pitch of it to match whatever chord change you you want so you've got really talented real musicians backing you up and i'm just having so much fun with this because it's been great you know practicing my sax and playing my modes and my scales but you know you want to you want to play a song with somebody once in a while and now i've got the ability to play any song i want and i've got a bunch of fake books which are um music books just full of like one page versions of songs with the chords and the melody and i just type in the chords and then i'm off to the races and if you're a musician out there looking to have a little fun Uh, Band in a Box is a great app, and I'm really happy to see that an app with such a long history is still doing good. Uh, I'm using the version from last year. I got it last year. I'm gonna do a review of it at Max Sparky. I noticed that they've just came out with the 2018 version, so they've got an even newer version now. So it's still under active development. It's a very music-specific thing, But it's a lot of fun to be able to put together any kind of song you want. And and the different styles they have, there's hundreds of these music styles. It's not just jazz. It's like, do you want Miles, you know, sound? Or do you want Charlie Parker bebop? Or do you want, you know, Benny Goodman big band? Whatever kind of music you want, it seems like they've got some sort of backing track uh, style for you.
0: All right. Well, I think we have, uh, we, we've managed to use all of our allotted time today. That will that will wrap us up for another MPU+. Plus. But uh, we'll be back soon. And, you know, hey, WWDC is right around the corner. So we're going to have lots of new stuff to talk
1: about. Yeah, June's an exciting month. We've got a lot of interesting shows. We've got some good guests scheduled. We've got some good content shows. And we have WWDC. So I, I can't wait for June to come down. We look forward to having you along with us for the ride here on the Mac Power Users. Thanks to our sponsors today, Hover, Gazelle, Pixelmator, and Fujitsu, and we'll see you all next week.